and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And we're back with another episode. And this episode is all about one of Sherry's favorite topics, the use of um, assistance. And she's had some wonderful successes, so she's going to warm our hearts with these great stories today. I will, because I have to say that in my career, that's been one of the really... um, affirming things and and one of the the uh, delights of my career is the friendships and the and the outcomes and the sharing that I've had with the people that uh, I worked with as speech and language assistants I had said to them that I wished I was doing what they were doing lots of times yes, that that yeah. would have been Although I, I do, I do had enjoyed the assessment part as well, but the actual hands-on interventions were, again, as we talked about where our hearts were for sure over the years. But in a child's life, I said, you are the lucky ones because when a child's, you know, 25 or 30 and walking down the street and they spot you, they're going to say, you're the person that made the biggest difference in my life yeah yeah Yeah. and they are they are they're going to remember those sessions and and how positive they were and how good they felt about themselves and how much progress they made and they won't remember who the speech path was (laughs) or their teacher or anything but that speech and language assistant or that one-on-one time with that speech and language assistant made such a difference for them because i think it is hours and in lots of instances years if if they're this in my situation, speech and language assistants who had a lot of, um, you know, support and training, they worked year after year with children, so they had great rapport and they knew the parents and they, um, you know, really did have a a great relationship with the child too. So um, yeah. Lucky, lucky. You've, you are very lucky to have known all these great people, and you know I have had very great speech and language assistance as well but it was more towards the end of my career yep. when I was out of the school division and I was doing uh, contract work in the north and I mean it, it was it was the same kind of deal that these people were so dedicated and they so wanted to do such a good job and they would you know try their darndest to do it exactly the way that you said to do it and you know, and they could see the joy in the job as well, you know. And I had relationships like that for years, right. you know. And so when right. you think, because I know in when you did um, some of your contracting in the North, it, it wasn't for a long period no, of time. No, it was a shorter, But yeah. when you think, what if you'd stayed with them oh. and it was 10 years down the line? Yes, like, what, what it's like, so. And I, yeah, my heartfelt uh, thanks and hellos to all my, my friends out there that I worked with, my colleagues for sure. So how do you how do you make sure that um, because I have had instances where I have tried working with um, an educational assistant who's been assigned to work with a certain child and and it hasn't worked out well and it's not it's not the assistant's fault it's that I haven't had enough time to set it up properly or I haven't taken the time to set it up properly and train them and you know do videos and stuff well, I guess we we kind of were able to show that uh, when we were worked in the same school division for a year we were able to show you know how we needed more time to work with the 
the educational assistance. Right. What had happened there was, I think you and I had both gone out to, to right. schools, and that was when we, we had a boatload of schools, and we had yeah. circled back, and they're not working on what you'd ask them to work on. And right. then they would say, well, I would, we read uh, uh, stories, and we, I, get, I get and them, to, I get them to, to say their sounds when they're reading, and, and it was not following anything we no. wanted them to do. <laughs> or, again, you tried to tie them down to, well, how often have you seen them? Or, right. And it was, it was really then that you and I really buckled down and decided what, what did that tighten right. up that programming right. so yeah i think when we when we kind of did because we did a little bit of a study there and when we did at that time we were kind of shocked and yet not shocked because we hadn't spent the we did uh, an audit yeah we did an audit but we hadn't spent obviously a sufficient amount of time with the the assistants and that uh only half of them could identify the goal that they were supposed to be working mm-hmm. on and of that half that could identify the goal, only half of those were actually using the correct techniques and Materials strategies and, yeah, that, that we, we had recommended that they use. So only, you know, I don't know, a quarter of them were, so 75% weren't really getting the therapy that we thought they were getting. And there again, through no fault of their own. Oh, no, and, and no. And it, again, more a, a breakdown in the system and the policy and procedure. Right. So the components that we had come up with and, and were really that um, they needed more uh, supervision. Right, for sure. And they needed to, the program itself, like supervision and guiding them. You yes, know, yeah. But actually that the programs themselves needed to have built-in monitoring. Right. And and be able to measure outcome, that and, part of it. Yeah. And then we, the other part of it was we wanted those people to recognize that they were accountable for doing what we asked them to do. That right. that was their job, and that mm-hmm. that uh, we would circle back and talk about these same things. Because there's a lot of pull when you're in a school. There's a lot of pull. You know, the classroom teacher might pull them in to do something, and the the principal might pull them to do a project, and then the kids aren't getting their speech therapy. And at the time, again, in the school divisions that we were working at, I think we had moved. There was quite a. Uh, predominance of dedicated speech and language assistance. Now, when you and I have talked, <laughs> that again has been one of my jaw droppers to hear that in some of the school divisions that you have had the opportunity to work in, there's no speech and language assistance, and you're just yeah. supposed to do it with through the teacher or, just, yeah. or any any speech and any uh, educational assistant's just supposed to walk into it and do what you've asked them to do with no training whatsoever or yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, that's a frustration for sure. You know, to think that uh, a speech and language assistant can just walk in that has never met you, and the other speech and language assistant has gone on a leave, maybe a medical leave, and this new speech and language assistant, who's never met you and never done speech and language before, is supposed to pick up all these materials and work with these seven, eight, ten kids on different goals and different activities and different strategies. And I mean, I couldn't do it. If somebody left me a bunch of materials and said, well, I'm I'm the nurse, but I'm not able to get here today, so, you know, patient X needs drug blood drawn and this patient needs their blood pressure monitored and this patient needs sutures and what this patient patient needs counseling on whatever I would be 
I would be shaking in my boots. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, that that just the the capacity. There's no capacity there. No, no. So that's what we've talked about. How do you build capacity, and how do you design a program that's that's a paraprofessional could could work with? And it is our responsibility to design the program. It's not up to them to go, you know. The, find the materials or right. get on the internet and a lot of them oh, i think they're, and they're desperate so, and they they are searching and yeah, they're so they, well-meaning yeah, you know and yeah. they're trying they we can't get there often enough and then they think well i've done this goal now what do i do i'll just look on the internet and i mean kudos to them they're trying but yeah. you know they they do need our actual time and our presence and and uh and and the structure a program that's structured enough that they can keep going with it. Absolutely, yeah. And so part the components that I would say are part of that um, would be you need to set it up so the children are being seen frequently mm-hmm. and intensely, and you need to build in a system of reward um, and so that the they, children themselves are, are um, you know, working towards a lot of what we want children to do is very repetitive and yes. it is it can be boring yeah. and so it can be very tedious yeah but yeah. you have to make it fun and you have to have some kind of reward at the end yeah and some motivators right yeah. a motivating system it doesn't have to be a tangible it could be you know it's yeah. something that you do together but um then the other part that in the latter years i absolutely insisted on with the speech and language assistance is that they would tell their their little uh, charges that that uh, i was going to come and ask them what they're working on and right. where they are in their um, progression through the program so because there were years there again you'd some it would come up in conversation so um you see um the, myself they, they would mm-hmm. say they they see me and and uh, um, they would say uh, 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 what what do you do and what are you working on and they'd go I don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I play games yeah I, I get these tokens and then I get a prize <laughs> it's yeah. like, what? but what are you working on yeah so again it, it, it very interesting it, it does take some children a long time to just start to buy into stepping back and gaining those meta skills so then it would be that i'm working yeah. on my er sound and yeah. i'm at the initial sounds of words and and yeah. they could get out their chart and show me yeah uh, in the in the progression yeah. of of uh, and then pretty therapy. soon i'm i hope to be working on it at the end of words pretty soon you know yeah. like that yeah. they have a goal oh, too yes yes yeah. yeah and i would have little guys come running up i'm on carrying over i'm on carrying over <laughs> <laughs> like, yes yes yeah. so again to get them that has yeah. far more outcome than than yeah. uh, if they're kind of blindly right. going down the hall <laughs> Right. And then a, a, the last part is that absolute outcome measurement that has to yeah. be built in. That's motivating for the speech and language assistant, myself, and the child. Mm-hmm. We can see that there's progress, and if there right. isn't, we'll tweak. Have to tweak that program, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, it, how often would you say that, uh, like, your you would have your EEAs working with kids daily? Daily, every day. I agree. Every day. Even if it's just for a couple minutes, right? Like. Well, again, I think that, you know, with the populations we deal with, if you say daily, it very likely is not going to be five days a right. week because something will trump 
the, yeah, the speech be, pathology there'll session. There'll be a play or a field trip or... Yeah, or they'll be sick or they'll, yeah. you know. So, yeah. again, you're going for neurological mapping, permanent learning. Right. We know, we know that the outcomes of uh, once a week or two times a week, or and especially if it was in a group setting, these little guys, if they got like three trials of, mm-hmm. you know, answering... Uh, uh, two-step directions or something if they're in a group right. that's that's just about the same as them not getting any therapy and just vicariously and then their their environment getting mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. to do it intensively and mm-hmm. there's a there's so many wonderful programs out there i get excited when i think about all the the programs that that are so right. in the wheelhouse of the speech and language assistant right yeah. right um so what about this has been a big, um, I guess, issue in my life. Is sometimes I would get a, a really great speech assistant or a, an educational assistant who is working on speech, and I get them trained up, and I I get them going, I get their materials ready, and they're working with the kids, and things are going well, and then all of a sudden somebody at the school decides that that educational assistant is now going to do something else or they're going to be transferred <laughs> oh, to a dear. different school and and then it's somebody else coming in i t- that's a that's a huge frustration yeah I, it has to be a dedicated person and yeah. if they they are not available if they get sick or whatever just just then leave the program yeah. I, and i guess the other thing is that they need to be the, they need to be the dedicated speech assistant because if they're just an ea then they not get just an EA, well not just an yeah. EA but I mean if they're in EA they are going to get pulled into the classroom and I mean I understand why they're getting pulled into the classroom there's a lot of needs there and you know the teacher needs help somebody's having a seizure and somebody's else is having you know uh, a behavior outburst and somebody else is you know gotten sick over in the corner I mean there's a lot of things that go on where an EA is needed but if they keep getting pulled into the classroom and the teacher can then just say, you're going to do this and you're going to do this, then they trail away from the speech stuff and it doesn't get done. And they, they, it's confusing for the assistant because they don't know who to listen to, right? They're and thinking they should be doing speech. And one of the, one of the ways I got a, around that a little bit w- was to actually include that in the um, structure of the program. So speech and language assistants that I supervised were required to do an attendance sheet for um, all the sessions that they worked mm-hmm. with for each mm-hmm. child. So each child had their own attendance sheet. And then I did have a code. I, mm-hmm. ha- I had them code mm-hmm. it and say, I um, the teacher didn't, there was a, a school event, there was a classroom event, the child was sick, or I was sick. And so that again, or I was asked to do something else. <laughs> well, I didn't have that like no, you as much as, yeah. but but it would then be able. You'd be able to go back and audit it and justify mm-hmm. it. And if it happened once in a while, that's fine. That's, yeah. But if there was a pattern and you saw that mm-hmm. again, they weren't dedicating. To me, it's like um, taking treatment away from a diabetic Mm -hmm. you know i mean Mm -hmm. if if we've deemed that these children need intervention they need intervention and i get i mean we're in a similar situation what if i just kept pulling a child out of reading class 
and and right. they said you know what we're doing in the class is valuable too yeah. you know and i just but i just kept taking them out at the same time and same time then yeah yeah i, I mean it it's the same idea right? Right. right and um so um the other thing that um happened over time in improving the delivery of services through speech and language um assistance was that um we did get to having better documentation systems. So as I say, I've got a, a little chart that the child's following. I've got that um, uh, attendance sheet going. And then when I go to visit, the speech and language assistant could share those things with me. Because we would talk about, is the child making progress? Not to, And then they would say, well, you know what happened? And, and the documentation is there yeah. to go. And and again, the accountability that I'm so, not criticizing that, that you know, this child's not getting um, right. you, intervention you, when, yeah. when it's no... When they don't have control over it. has nothing to do with the speech and language assistant at all, <laughs> right. right? So what about um, when you... Did, did you also have the assistants keeping a documentation of how many, say, trials they had on, if they were working on sounds or... For sure. Did, yeah, okay. For sure. Lots of times had that base 10 okay. form sitting out there and the mm-hmm. children seeing, like if you're you're doing a... Uh, er or whatever. And, right. And even, you know, sometimes it was, oh, it's a star. Oh, that yeah. was a wonderful one. And then there yeah. would be a, a wiggly like, well, it was pretty could, good, could but yeah. Better, and then, do oh, you got a check. And, yeah. Yeah, and then it was like, oh, I got five stars in a row. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. And so we had moved over historically, and this is what I'm hoping other speech paths out there who, who maybe don't use speech and language assistance, just to see how far we we went in the years that I, I uh, worked with, with speech and language assistance. But it started off initially with speech sounds and, and building capacity around that um, etiology. And then it we got into phonological awareness and then language and then, you know, doing some of the hearing screening. And so as there was time and we were more efficient and um, the, the needs got greater. And there were times in, in one um, school that I worked with, they had a second speech and language assistant who carried on um, a, a dedicated program, which happened to be Fast for Word. But yeah, then there we, yeah, yeah. So awesome. again, and Again, you probably had this this experience too. Is in in the beginning, we made a lot of materials oh, and did. a lot yeah. of uh, reward yeah. systems and right. came up with all that token economy kind of thing. And yeah. and uh, but now, oh my There's gosh, so many commercial, wonderful yeah. commercial materials. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and they are a little bit more expensive, but so much more e- so much easier to, than spending hours and hours and hours. Which doing maybe it. makes them more economical. Yeah, that, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Instead time. of copying the off time. The sheets that you handmade exactly. or whatever. Exactly. And then what about, um, I don't know if you touched on this already, maybe you did, is the technology. Like, did you have some technological uh, support? Did that help with your outcomes? or? I think that that is the answer. In yeah. all fairness, if I said compared to even to commercial materials. And the reason being... Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it And it depends on what you're doing. But, for example, if you were to, say, do intervention with HearBuilder, 
um, series, the following directions, or the um, mm -hmm. basic concepts, or the phonological awareness. And so built into those programs, one that, well, first of all, you're doing them daily, right? And, mm -hmm. and so it keeps the attendance for you, and it tells you how long they worked on each um, oh, okay. activity. Okay. And it also um, shows their uh, success. You're right. So it's yeah. it's those things we actually want to monitor, mm -hmm. because if it doesn't work, if we if we put this child through this program and they've done it intensively and frequently, and you see that that actually happened, then you're going to need to change up your intervention. Right. But the vast majority of times I would go back, well, they attended not even a third of the right. sessions that we had hoped they would or that the so, target was. Yeah. So you can see where so the... you Yes, you can't say this yeah. intervention didn't work. Right. You know, right. so yeah. that that was really that's been one of the most helpful things I think. You know, when uh, we were talking earlier about the use of technology and assistance. My experience has more been um, being remote, being, first of all, what a, the intervention that I'm trying to carry out are in a remote northern community, and uh, but having an assistant, and the one of the best uses of technology that I found was being able to watch my assistant live, working with a student, because I was working with students who had autism, so the therapy was a lot of movement Dynamic. based. Yes, <laughs> you're they're, you're up and down, and you're running, and you're playing, and it's it's pretty active therapy. But being able to be in the have an earbud in my assistant's ear, and just being able to coach them as they're going, you know, just to say, yep, that was good, you can give him a marble now, that was good, or he's getting really bored with this, I think we should switch, let's switch it up a bit, let's change to the next activity, you can move on, or, or whatever it happens to be, and just being able to and they would feel supported because if, yeah. if your if your kids out of control and you right. don't know, and they don't know no, they, and need, they, your don't, they right. need your experience and and they don't know because if you tell them the expectation in a lesson plan is you're going to do this for five minutes and this for ten minutes and then in two minutes the child is throwing the materials around they don't know that they can switch you know that's not their job to know that so um, yeah it it, it was. That, to me, in terms of technology, was one of the best uses of technology. And I think back to, you know, when you had your, your uh, time as a clinical supervisor, oh, yeah. and you're, in the, you're watching them in the little cubby doing yeah. their, their intervention. It's the same concept, only they're not going to wait. These were speech paths, of course, but they're not going to wait for their, their sheet at the end. And, yeah. But it's dynamic, and you're right in there, right. and, and you're, you don't disturb the... The, the flow uh, of the, the therapy, that the child doesn't know that anything has gone on. And, and yeah, it's, it's really an awesome way to, to be able to supervise somebody because you, you, not, you're not criticizing them. Because it seems like afterwards, when I was doing... Uh, supervision at the university it always seemed like afterwards I was criticizing them it's like well you should have done this and you could have done this and did you think about doing this but it's after the fact right 
But when if you're doing it while it's happening, can you try this? It I, just it might work. Yeah, it yeah. just seems helpful. You know, it's like, well, I don't know if he's going to like this next activity based on this. Maybe we'll skip over it, and we'll do, you know, we'll do the swing. Let's try the swing because he seems to like to move around. Let's try it. Oh, he's really not liking it. Let's switch, you know. And, and it I, I, doesn't seem like a criticism. It seems like I'm actually trying to help them. And I think in a way, I, and I don't know whether this is true because I, I didn't have the same experience you did, but I would suspect that that dynamic of you just as an earbud is better than being in the room with them. Oh, like yes. if you were if you were yes. to take that same experience and say I'm coming to right. monitor or help you yeah. or whatever you want to say yeah. supervise you or whatever and see what you're it's doing. It's much more threatening for a human to be in there and yes. yeah. It yeah. seems more critical, yeah. right? Are they going to keep trying to defer to you yes. much yeah. more so maybe right. it's maybe yeah. a better dynamic. It's for a much better cuz they know I can't come in and do any hands-on. They have to do it. So <laughs> And the other thing about that last chapter we had through COVID and learning yes, yes. to to be able to um, interact, uh, yeah. like through Zoom or, or right, whatever right. Uh, platform you were on, is um, just being able to do it more frequently. You're not flying in, and right. they're not waiting for you to fly every in every month. And, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah they, once a month to be yeah, there. Yeah. You could actually, I mean, do it yeah, every day. Every you day, could, you could yeah. be doing it with every session potentially. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, and or you know, picking and choosing. Okay, I know this this one's a challenge, so let's make sure that I'm online for this one for you. You know, so yeah. And that worked for me too in the latter um, uh, of of COVID too. I think we right. did move from from um, you know trying to to send things home and that sort of thing. But finally, again, when the technology got up and running, speech and language assistance in the school system too mm-hmm. got to carry on right. and do the things right. that they were yeah. they were doing. That's awesome. So so what I would say about the, the whole discussion about how far we moved in what we how we designed and supervised and I take the supervision out supported and worked with our colleagues side by side, is um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Now, we again, we're, if we're talking about the structure of the program and the, and the materials and all of those things, um, we've come so far. But I feel as though almost every new grad or new employee who's popped into the, the the provincial school system almost has to reinvent the wheel unless they're with a, yeah. a great team who has some form of mentorship but for the right. most part they get started and they're not going to care they have their own caseload they can't right. follow and they're going to their own somebody school. Else. a different school in a you know 60 miles away and know? and there may or may not be any you know standardized uh Right. systems or documentation and or anything. I just think you know I mean not not to to blow our own horns but I don't think we're I mean I think we're bright enough but it took us a long time to figure out these systems and get them up and running and get them perfected and I we would be- say I'm a hundred times better oh yes. interventionist yes at the yeah. end of my career than oh, I yes. was at the beginning yeah oh yeah. yeah I think I think that too and I think I'm not you know putting myself in the top 10%, but just the growth that I've had as a, as a clinician over the years that. And I think again, every 
speech path would say it. I think what you learn in school is is right. <laughs> just an outline of the of the portfolio of skills you'll eventually get, no yeah. matter which setting you're in. I mean, exactly. they all need that specialization. The people that are working in the medical field are going, oh. well, I don't know about any of that yeah. stuff, well, yeah. right? I mean, and it's it, just at, it, that's how diverse our And I, w- I would say the same. I'd be like, swallowing study, get me out of here. So... So do we, how do we get to the point of facilitating, you know, that, that um, best practice in using paraprofessionals? And, and um, again, uh, I would throw out to uh, the, the listeners there, you know, what, what are their thoughts about it? But um, my, my thoughts are, you know, there are, and I popped online to look, I think there are something like 10 speech and language assistant formal program training programs in Canada mm. and uh, but I don't know enough about them to know if you had that training how well can you step in and and do a uh, you know the the type of interventions and and the provincial uh, school system types right. of because when you're yeah. talking about medical training or yeah. know, which setting are they going to be in so I wonder it's if really a broad. provincial one would be better that's what I think I think you know when they're talking about um, a provincial program for training SLPs I think first of all that's very expensive and we've already talked about this we don't have the positions to, for like who the graduates would be moving to other provinces because going we, into private practice yeah, yeah. we're going into private practice I suppose we don't have the positions for them so um, I think there's a huge, huge need for the assistance in the school system. And I I think if we could design a program here in the province that would train assistants specifically to work in schools, because you're going to be working primarily on speech sounds, phonology, and language. And Especially if, if you ultimately establish that whole model and, yeah. and the policy and procedure and yeah. the scope of practice and roles and responsibilities. and Right, um, yeah. And again, it's. I don't think you'd have to reinvent the wheel around that. I think there no. are, there are other agencies and and mm-hmm. uh, uh, programs, colleges and universities right. that would be glad to share. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would think so. I would think so. So, I guess we'd like to hear from all of our listeners. You know, what is happening in your school division? Have you had success using assistance? What kind of assistance do you have? Do you have dedicated speech and language assistance? Do you have EAs that are kind of randomly assigned? What's what's going on in your uh, setting? And and let us know your successes and your frustrations. And maybe you have some ideas about how we can uh, affect, you know change in this area and and get things up to speed so that everybody has equitable access to this because I don't think it is equitable. Well it isn't because no. just our own experiences yeah. and I'm sure others would, yeah. would chime in about that but um, the other part is and I would underscore as we're closing our, our podcast down here but um, speech and language assistance can make or break your ability to have outcomes in, in the school uh, division they are so valuable absolutely and um yeah it's on a continuum and but again uh that's for that's, my my experience that's related to the amount of support and guidance and and the ability to to have enough time 
to work with them to establish rapport and personal relationships. Uh, it's just like any other job setting. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm hoping that you would open up this conversation and let's yeah. talk about having speech and language assistance. Yeah, actual dedicated speech and language assistance that can really help us make those outcomes and make the gains and it really, as you say, makes all the difference for the kids. And for those of you who disagree, please let us know. Yeah. We're go, open to debate. Give go us your on our website oh, at you know. letstalktalking.com and let us know. Send us, shoot us an email. Or you can go to our Facebook page. It's Let's Talk, all one word, and then talking, separate word. And, you know, leave us some comments. Let us know what what your thoughts are. Maybe you think we're completely out to lunch. <laughs> well, sometimes we are. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Others will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, we love to hear from you. And, um, you know, if we can get the conversation going, that's great. So for Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. Let's, Let's talk. talk.